Hi guys, welcome back to another Train Brave podcast. I'm Rini McGregor. And I'm Chris Hendy. And today, guys, we have got a really special guest. So I'm actually going to be flying solo because we are going to be talking to Polly, which means Chris is on daddy duty and is going to take George for a walk so that Polly and I can talk uninterrupted. Although we don't mind having George here, do we? Really? No, but I think it's, it would just make it a bit more of an easier podcast if we, uh, if we just... Um... Get George out of the picture just for the next, next bit. Next bit. He'll probably try and eat the microphone as well. So I'll see you soon, guys. Have a good podcast. Have a lovely walk. <laughs> Hi, Polly. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for doing this because um, I appreciate that it's not the most easy conversations to have, but I know from, from us talking a lot, you have always been really keen to get your story out to help as many people as possible moving forward. And the lovely thing about your story is, is that we do have a really fantastic ending as such so far, and it's not to finish, but you know, so far. So I'm gonna take you, I guess, on a little bit of a journey. I wanna take you right back to you being a teenager, really get to know what Polly the teenager was like, and then how she moved through. (laughs) How she moved through uni and then, Obviously, they will get into when you went to Australia and, and kind of how things changed for you as you became a pro athlete. Um, and then obviously your whole experience with Reds, which you didn't know you had until a much later date. So, I mean, feel free to, to kind of let me know exactly, tell me whatever you want. But obviously, I'll, I'll try and guide us through so we have a nice, um, a nice journey through your experience. Sure. So, so take me back to... Polly the teenager what were you like Polly as a teenager um probably shouldn't ask my parents that <laughs> they might have a different answer um no I uh I think in terms of um sport growing up I you know I, I've been sporty my whole life so um my I was lucky enough my parents kind of got us involved with everything let us try a bit of everything um I grew up um initially um riding horses or ponies back then because it's a bit smaller um mm. so that um both my parents were very horsey um and kind of yeah grew up riding that was my that was my main thing for probably the first 18 years of my life um through the pony club I um went into uh, to triathlon which is the shooting swimming riding and running yeah. um and that kind of transitioned onto the modern pentathlon so added the fencing to that later on um yeah so I've been you know had a had a great childhood and uh you know kind of always been active um yeah so tell me about your um like it's like you, we'll start with your, your sort of menstrual history as such so what can you remember what age you were when your periods actually started I I actually can't remember um I I wasn't I wasn't early um but I wasn't one of the last, so I think probably in the middle, um, maybe 14, maybe. I'm not sure. I, I honestly can't remember, so I'm plucking that uh, number out of thin air. So. <laughs> and as far as you can remember, they were kind of fairly normal. Yeah, I was, I was quite lucky. I think I you know, had quite light periods, uh, you know, as in it, it didn't really affect me. Um, the first time I lost my period was um i i was actually doing pentathlon at the time um and um i think i just increased the increased the volume and i didn't really think much of it at the time um mm. and i don't think i told anyone um 
and it was you know maybe for a couple of months but um then it came back and um it, then it wasn't until I went on the pill which was oh um well, it was when I met, met Chris so 12 years ago okay yeah, so you had fairly normal periods yeah. regular, and you had a couple of blips with now you can look back and see yeah. related to training load um and then you went on the pill when you were 20 ish yes yeah yeah about 20 so i was at university um and yeah just you know kind of normal contraceptive thing that they put you on you know yeah. went to the doctor and she kind of just said yeah here we go and tell me a little bit about your relationship with food at the time like obviously you've been really sporty so i'm assuming and your periods were normal generally so yeah. i'm assuming like, there were no issues with food you were quite happy to eat no Love, i've always loved food um you know my mum's a great cook um, my brother's actually a chef um and you know just been always had kind of an abundance of food and you know just been just been really lucky um i never never kind of had issues with it um that i that i knew of so um yeah i mean i was always um quite a growing up i was quite i was quite skinny mm-hmm. um but i think that was purely because I was very active um but I just I as far as I remember um I just ate you know anything and everything kind of thing no no issues at all really so and so your 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 relationship with your body and everything was completely fine mm-hmm. you, you've always been quite slim um were there any changes to that like did you notice that like I know when I like not me personally but I know a lot of friends when they went to uni um we all get we all start drinking a little bit more and um, we, we maybe don't do quite as much exercise to start with because we're kind of working out, you know, where we fit in, I guess. Um, yeah, totally. Did you find that you had any any changes at any point or you, did you continue to be sporty throughout uni as well? I did. I continued to be sporty, um, but I think the addition of alcohol that I hadn't had in in such kind of consistent, <laughs> consistent times, um, I think that obviously just naturally, um, you know, the calories in were more and there were different calories and, you know, I kind of, I I was, I was training um, and trying to balance that kind of whole um, finding myself at uni and, um, you know, I I was trying to keep up with um, the pentathlon, but I quickly realised that um, with the shooting and the fencing being such technical disciplines that, um, I was having to travel to do those and it was just you know I'd have to travel an hour away from uni and on my own and kind of you know I just thought no um I'll just cut it back and then I actually just probably concentrated on the running through uni so joined the uh went to Chichester joined the running club there and had an amazing few years with them so um yeah really got in loved my running I've always been a runner um I think more than anything (laughs) Okay, cool. And so, um, so you went on the pill and yeah. no issues with the pill. Like you had your, your monthly withdrawal bleed, everything was fine. No. So I was on a pill that I just went straight through. Okay. Um, so I never had a, never had a withdrawal bleed. Um, it was just a, I guess it was a, a pill that you take on, yeah. the, you know, when you can't, um, I did have, um, I had to change once because, um, I started getting, um, kind of the blurred vision, migraine auras. So, you know, kind of, uh, but 
they di they didn't know that that was linked to the pill but i think it's a precaution with one of them they say okay we're just going to change you over to the other one but i can't remember exactly what what one it was um so yeah that that's the only issue i had um and obviously i didn't know that what i've discussed with you is that's when my gut issues started right okay so um during uni had a lot of kind of um i guess kind of runners associated problems so lots of your lots of listeners will be familiar with those um yeah. and but it got it got pretty bad and um it was you know so much so that i didn't really want to run far away from home um things like that um and went to the doctor and she she just labeled it as ibs um didn't really gave me a literally gave me a pack of you know things to read mm. um and she said oh it might get better and she actually even said um it'll probably get better when you're pregnant when you get pregnant and bearing in mind i was like 20 then yeah. and i was like kids weren't on the radar at all kind of thing and i was like well what so i have to put up with this for that long and then really it was a process of eliminate i kind of went down the road of okay i've got to do a process of elimination what's what's causing this irritable bowel syndrome so um you know started cutting out things um yeah so would you say that like because interestingly often um the gut issues i mean obviously the, the pill can cause gut issues and the thing about the pill as well is is that it it what people don't realize is that certain pills usually that usually well both pills but particularly the um combined pill which is not the one you were on because you would have had a, a break if you'd been on that one but they also stop the absorption of really key nutrients and so that can also then start to affect the gut microbiome in general so so at this stage you just gone on the pill you'd met chris were running you had a you had some stomach issues but you weren't really noticing anything else as such you weren't kind of you were still like you were you were drinking and you were eating you kind of just very very sort of normal teenage well i say teenage young adult behavior yeah to be yeah totally yeah so when so talk me through like the next few years because obviously at some point you stepped up right because you guys you ended up going into sort of professional sport a lot more and so things stepped up for you so talk us through that process of how that happened and and like you know what did that look like for you and, and how did that feel to you like in terms of of, of moving up to that level so um we after I finished uni, I kind of got involved in triathlon um, and at, at an age group level, um, I just started this, you know, sprint distance, um, actually completely skipped out Olympic distance. I've never done Olympic distance triathlon um, and, um, you know, was was pretty good in age group um, and, you know, really loved it. And I don't think Chris says we moved to Australia to see how good I can get, but could, how good I could have got. but. I don't think we we went for that reason it was just that was a a bonus that you know the the training over there would let me kind of see how good we could get um so yeah we went over to australia um did about six months of traveling and um then ended up in byron bay and got in with a really good squad um over there with a really good coach and some very very decent athletes like some of the best in the world um and i was still you know i i was kind of just keeping fit and dabbling in it and um 
and then my coach said oh, I think you should go long course because of my run you know my run strength I would you know be able to catch up chase people down at the end of the end so um so I went into the long course and um for a couple of years um had some really good results age group um in hindsight I think I made the step up too early to the to be professional um but hindsight's a wonderful thing isn't it yeah. <laughs> um and you know, I was even though I was professional. I say it very loosely because I was. I I believe there's a couple of levels to a professional, and I was I was a rookie. Um, but I, I I have no regrets. Like I always say, I have no regrets. Like if I hadn't have stepped up, I would have always wondered what if. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm you know I'm really pleased, and I got to start against some of the most amazing women um in the sport and um you know learned a lot um but then 2015 um i just had enough like i i i I was losing the love of it i was putting far too much pressure on myself i was a very um kind of i'd always compare myself um you know be scrolling through our the results of other races and who i'm up against and things like that and i was just really in it for the wrong reason i think um and i i knew that to get really to get to where i wanted to get to or to potentially you know reach my potential um would be another five ten years and to be honest i wasn't it wasn't i wasn't bothered but um i knew it was going to be a long road and for me personally i that didn't fulfill me so i i knew that i wanted to start a family um and i even though i was still quite young um obviously that was on my mind um and you know chris was working hard to kind of keep us both afloat and you know, I was waitressing alongside the training, but I just felt that guilt of not kind of contributing as much in it, all, all the financial pressure being on him. So yeah, for me personally, it wasn't, it wasn't enough. And um, I knew that I didn't want to commit the next five, 10 years doing it. <laughs> and so let's talk a little bit about that time just before 2015, when you made the decision, actually, do you know what, enough's enough and you'd sort of lost the love. Um, yeah. I get that. Like I've, I've definitely gone through phases of that with my running where I've just, in fact, mine was around 2015 as well. I'd done an awful lot. And then I actually started to feel quite unwell and that was what made me stop. And for me, mine was then, you know, later diagnosed as the sarcoidosis, which is the autoimmune condition, which I think in hindsight is probably due to the fact that I massively overtrained and mm-hmm. didn't really rest enough. And, and although I've always been very fortunate since doing sport as such because I didn't really do sport I did I've always been sporty but until I start taking it seriously I suppose as a competitive runner um I've never lost my period during that time so I've always been very very fortunate in that I've obviously managed yeah. to get balance going but that doesn't mean that you are not necessarily in reds right because for me it ended up being an autoimmune issue so um so yeah we all go through those phases I think where we we, we fall out of love with things but I'd I'd like to know a little bit more about the pressure that you maybe started to feel and notice um in in that lead up to that point because I remember when when Chris and I were doing the the podcast when we we started back in 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 February and we did the, the personal story one of the things that I asked him was like and he 
couldn't necessarily answer for you, but he, he, I said to him, do you think that Polly was consciously trying to control her intake to achieve like a body composition? And he really was, he really didn't know. Mm. He really, he really, because of, because at the end of the day, the only person who could ever really answer that is the person who's going through it, right? So he could see changes in you, which he observed and he obviously discussed with you. And, and you know, I think obviously you two are, have such a great teamwork relationship, which is fantastic. And it's, it's, you know, you support each other so much. And I see that daily when we're in, you know, in the, in the practice together. But, um, but I just wonder, like for you, when did you maybe start to notice that perhaps some of your thoughts were not quite as rational or as clear as they, they were previously? It's actually a really hard question for me to answer as well. Um, and I don't think that I really understood it until now. Yeah. Um, so I, I like what you said, actually, about um, you actually started to feel unhealthy. And I did. I, you know, when I when I gave up um, in 2015, I did. I was at that point. You know, people think, oh, you're at your fittest. You must be so healthy. And I was like, nope, I think I, I feel like I've tipped over. But going back a few years, it actually it was actually started when we were back in the UK. So before we went to Australia, um, mm. I think we were I think I've been quite lucky in that, you know, people said, oh, I always had a high metabolism, you know, I, I've been able to eat whatever I want and just, you know, be, be you know, be normal in, yeah, commas. <laughs> um, but um, I think, I think with the whole, I think maybe the IBS kind of kicked it off. Mm. And I, I do very, very uh, clearly remember the summer before we went to Australia. So this was 2012, I think. And we were, we were both doing three or four jobs. Um, you know, training was kind of, um, quite, quite casual. It was, you know, we were still training a lot, but it wasn't, there was no pressure, um, competitively. Um, but we were, we were doing three or four jobs to try and, um, save up for Australia. Um, and I just, I remember, being in situations where I was in shops and I just couldn't, I couldn't just like, I, I would literally be in there for an hour and I couldn't decide what to buy. Mm. And I, I don't know why, why it was. And I kind of, it's very, it's very bitty parts of the puzzle, but mm. I do remember just finding it really hard to make decisions about food and reading the backs of things. Um, and there was a point in which Chris was like, you know, I think he was just fed up and he was just like, you've got to stop this. Like you've got to pull your finger out. Cause I would just, I would just give up and I would just say, Oh, I'm not hungry. Like, because I just could not, my, my mind just couldn't process what, you know, if it was okay to eat something, you know, this or that. And I, I don't remember the specifics. I don't know if it was a whole, you know, kind of all oh, that's got too many carbs in it. Um, but I remember feeling quite overwhelmed and like it was out of control for me. So that's really interesting because it's not something that you consciously made the decision no. somehow with everything else. Now, and it's the other thing I find really fascinating is that you're not the first person who has been told they've got IBS and then kind of goes on some sort of exclusion diet, whether that's FODMAPs or, 
or whatever. I mean, the, the most likely is FODMAPs because that's what you, you put in IBS into the internet and you get FODMAPs coming out. And of course, that should really only be done under the supervision of somebody who's trained in FODMAPs. Um, and it's not a lifelong diet, which a lot of people don't realise. But I have had so many generally young women who have been put on the FODMAP diet for IBS in inverted commas, um, where it's then gone down the road of, obviously it's a restrictive, um, it's a restrictive way of eating, but it's then caused more problems because there's almost like, it's a bit like orthorexia, right? It becomes that kind of almost the fear associated with eating anything that might then create your symptoms. And so it becomes very ritualized. I can't do that because I need to do this. And and like you said, like when you're in a shop and you just can't make a decision, I remember, I mean, obviously I was a lot younger, but I remember when I had to make decisions about choosing, I don't know, breakfast cereals or something. And I'd be like, but I don't know which one's right. And that's, that's all you, that's all you can think is I need to get it right. Because if you didn't get it right, it was like, Oh, something, something awful might happen. You have no idea what that awful is, but something awful might happen. So I I think I'm a very indecisive person anyway. I would say, I would say that's, that's me down to a T. Um, So I think that just exasperated everything. So. Okay. So then, so obviously, so we, we started to see some of the, I suppose maybe in a, a slightly un, not, not conscious way you started restricting your intake before you went mm. to Australia yeah. and you get to join this amazing squad where you're probably not fueling your system well yeah but I don't think again I think it wasn't a conscious decision mm. I think I at that point it was just that I was I didn't realize I underestimated how much food I needed yeah. um you know I used to kind of do a four or five hour ride on a banana and a latte you know (laughs) yeah and um and then you know I know Chris has said in the past I used to come home and you know he literally used to force me to eat before I fell asleep kind of thing um in the nicest way he didn't (laughs) you know he was just like you know you need to you need to eat something what have you eaten today kind of thing so um yeah I think it was I don't know if I was naive but it was I don't think we're naive. I think many, many athletes, and you know, we, that's why we talk about voluntary and involuntary reds, right? Like involuntary reds is when somebody genuinely has no idea mm. how much fuel they actually need for the system to do the work they need to do. Yeah. Whereas obviously voluntary reds is much more a conscious decision. You're very aware that you're under fueling or you're overtraining. And yeah one like involuntary reds can become voluntary in in the sense that you can morph into it because if you get to the point where you over restrict your intake to a point where then it then starts to have a psychological effect on how you how you think and then how you know um and how your brain functions then obviously it then becomes much more of a learnt behavior and a, a voluntary need to continue with those behaviors so I think when you and I've spoken you sort of that's what you've kind of think happened is that it was all completely involuntary you had no idea just didn't quite hit the mark in terms of nutrition yeah I mean I don't know I don't even think it was a body um kind of body image thing um or not that I was aware of because I've because I was doing so much training I didn't I wasn't worried that I wasn't the right size um Mm -hmm. 
we we lived in Byron Bay, which is a very attractive place. <laughs> so yeah. maybe unconsciously the pressure was there. Um, and I definitely um, adopted a lot of clean eating um, kind of beliefs. Mm. Um, you know, I, I can't remember what they were. I mean, nothing was extreme. And I, you know, I used to treat, you know, I treat myself all the time kind of thing. But it was, there was definitely, I was that was a majority of my diet was I pro you know, I was conscious about how many carbs I was having. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we get to 2015. Yeah. Enough. You're like, you're done. Like, yeah. can you remember the exact moment when you went dress it? I'm, I am done. Yeah. I was, I was out on a, um, I think it was a week before, um, a half Ironman and I was out on the bike just training on my own. Um, our squad had actually kind of, broken up by then um and was a, there was a lot of solo training and I think that that kind of made didn't help um you know you're doing a lot when you're training for half Ironman you know it's not even an Ironman and you're training a lot on your own um so yeah I really struggled motivation wise um with that um and yeah I was out on, on a ride and I just called Chris and I was just like I'm done <laughs> And it was really weird, and I, but I did feel like a massive sense of relief. Um, mm. And I think, going back to what we were saying earlier, I think I I never had a break. I literally had never, from when I was a child, I'd always been training. Mm. And yeah. it, when my parents were pushy. They were super support, supportive. They never they never pushed me into anything. It was completely under my own, you know will um and but yeah I I look back and I was like actually I've never had a break mm, yeah that's um, really so I think it was just it was literally 20 you know maybe 15 years or I don't know um of just you know Polly being an athlete kind of oh, that was my identity that was what I was asked you next so obviously 2015 you decided that was it enough was yeah. enough you wanted to focus on potentially knowing you could have a family, maybe yeah. not right there and then, but you know, could have a family. So I'm assuming that um, you came off the pill. Yeah. Yeah. Came off the pill literally then. Um, and um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I went to the doctor straight away. Um, but I, th I think I left it a few months. So that was kind of October time and I left it a few months and then nothing happened went to the doctor and she was like, okay, I think we need to, you know, increase, um, your body, for your, your, or your BMI. They were talking about BMI kind of thing, which is, you know, really, <laughs> really reliable. Um, and yeah, so I, but I never really stopped training. Yeah. So I was going to say to that, cause I think yeah. you, know, you picked up on the fact that you had an identity and this is something that a lot of people talk to me about is that it's their identity you know I even even when I have individuals that go from like they're runners but they get so many injuries they decide oh, I'll become a cyclist mm -hmm. but they really struggle to let go of the identity of being a runner you know we create these identities for ourselves and and that in itself it has has its own um its own role like the very fact that we need identity um usually suggests it's because we we need it to prove something to prove our prove our place we need that acceptance we need that approval you know so so obviously i can appreciate 
you know, you've, you've been poly the athlete for 15 odd years and suddenly poly the athlete goes, do you know what? I'm done, except I'm not really done. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me about that. How did, how did that, how did that, like when you say you were, you were still training, obviously what kind of level were you training at in, in comparison to previously, would you say? Um, I'm not sure how in terms of, um, kind of hours per week, but, um, I, I was, I think I let, I, I was a bit more flexible with my training, put it that way. Like I wasn't on a, on such a strict um, kind of schedule to try and fit all the training in during the week. Um, you know, I, st- I started um, training a bit more in the gym. Um, but yeah, I never, even though I wasn't racing, I was still very conscious. And I think that's where it kicked in the whole body image thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, this is my identity. If I, like I've lost that. I need to stay. I need to stay visibly who I am. You know who yeah. what people are used to. Because otherwise they'll be like, oh, she's you know let herself go a bit. <laughs> um. So, yeah. And that again, that's really fascinating, right? Because again, so many people worry about the perception of others, yeah. and they have this identity. Um. And and body image is a very interesting subject because it's very much. Um, you know, technically speaking, if you define body image, it's the image you see of yourself on a screen or yeah. on the mirror, and and it it represents what you see at that moment. It doesn't represent you as such. Like that's the definition of a body image. But we we do tend to live in society where many of us sadly have a distorted body image or obsession even with our body image. Um, and again, often when people are going in search of achieving a certain body image it's usually because they can't get what they're looking for from any anywhere else and 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 normally that again is the self-assurance and the self-acceptance and so you'd gone from basically achieving continually as an athlete because that's what you did you got you know you races you did really well you you know great results and and in a very short period of time really you know you're continually smashing smashing your, your times and stuff and then suddenly you weren't in your mind probably weren't achieving and yet you needed to because that's who you are that's how you that's how you get approval that's how you feel a sense of worth that need to achieve and so many of us are like that like you know that's 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 my achilles heel the constant need to achieve right i i get that but i think like, that's what makes you you know makes us actually successful you know like it's you know you need I don't think it should be completely seen as a bad thing Um, yeah it's understanding where it becomes dysfunctional exactly exactly yeah obviously so then in your case then the body image kicked in because you still needed that achievement yeah so it's interesting isn't it like we've had this conversation before you you would you have said to me this before that even though you wanted to see if your body could function Hmm. and you you went to lots of doctors which we'll talk about in a second you you know you had lots of tests and you, you tried to get things and I know you went on Clomid and, and all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. you probably didn't wholeheartedly give it your complete all no. until maybe we spoke maybe uh, yeah it was so when did you I joined the practice last oh. April April 20th yeah. so it was about then that I completely completely committed yeah, because I think we spoke just before I started at the practice. Yeah. Uh, I've come in and said hi to everybody. 
Um, but yeah, so, so maybe let's let's talk a little bit about the different um, the different support you actually you know you, you tried to access in Australia um, and then when you came back and and I'd like to hear a little bit as well about I know that Chris has always mentioned that you joined some of the um, Amen Area groups on Facebook and stuff even though you didn't always contribute but you were kind of sitting there listening which I think I'd like to hear your experience of that I've never joined a group like that so I'd like to hear. Well, I have, but it was for ultra runners. And actually, if I'm honest, it got to the point where I, I couldn't sit and listen anymore. So I, I, I left the group. Yeah. But I wonder, like, let's talk about the, the help that you got. Because um, I know there were, there were a couple of weird things that were said to you during that yeah. time. So I, um, I think after that initial, the initial time I went to the doctor, um, she said, obviously, you know, you need to, you need to put on a bit of weight. Um, and yeah, I remember telling you actually a couple of months later, I, she was doing routine tests. So I had all my blood tests done, um, or ones that we thought I needed done. Um, and a really weird thing came up about my cholesterol. Mm. So, and, and I said, she said, Oh, your cholesterol is quite high. And I said, what the, you know, thinking it's the good cholesterol. Oh no, the, the bad cholesterol. And I'm thinking, what? You know, because my understanding up to then was that, you know, the, the bad cholesterol is with people who have really poor diets and lifestyles and, you know, overweight and things like that. Um, and, and I was thinking, oh gosh, have I been, you know, have I been eating too much butter or, you know, <laughs> um, you, you know, things like that. And I, yes, I have a treat, but it's not, you know, I, I still have, I'm very healthy I thought so and correct me if I'm wrong but it was something around nine my cholesterol so that's very high isn't that's it high, yeah. yeah so I was thinking what you know what is going on so she actually referred me to um have an ECG so I went I went to the Gold Coast and had a went to see the cardiologist um and they you know they obviously they couldn't find anything um I don't remember exactly what they said when we were there. Um, Chris might remember a bit more, but Chris then, then by that time we had started doing our own research because we were like, this is just ridiculous. Like, mm. how can this be? And I had the test done a couple of times. So it wasn't, it wasn't an anomaly kind of thing. Um, and they said, oh yeah, you're fine. And Chris said, oh, Polly's just been put on Clomid because by that time I'd been to see the fertility specialist um, in on the Gold Coast who had put me on Clomid to try and um, you'll be able to tell people the official <laughs> but basically to kickstart things. The Clomid is given to people to um, stimulate ovulation yeah so um, you know if if somebody I guess they they in their head they tried everything they felt you were the mate probably what would have done with them they did the blood test i have obviously i don't know what blood test they did at that point apart from cholesterol but um they would have looked at those and gone well there's nothing unhealthy here so we just need to stimulate yeah um, ovulation to happen yeah and and i remember actually i don't know if i've told you but they did i went and had a couple of um scans uh, one one time they said oh you've got pcos yeah um classic yeah um and but then the next time I went they were like oh no you don't have PCOS so I'm thinking okay <laughs> what am I 
I'm going to jump in here because a lot of you have been asking me about this anyway, and this is a great place to sort of explain to people. If you have people who are amenorrheic, um, or even if they, you know, are a little bit irregular with their menstrual cycle, um, they often do an ultrasound because it's what we do to check what's going on. And you will always see multiple follicles and, and which look like little cysts on the, um, on the screen. And so if you've got somebody who maybe doesn't understand low energy availability, reds, which is, you know, a lot of people, cause it's not technically a clinical condition as such yet. People are not always aware of it. They may jump to conclusions because they'll go, well, she hasn't got a period. Oh, and we can see multiple follicles on the screen. So she must have PCOS. Now that doesn't, is not, that is not accurate diagnosis for PCOS. So for PCOS, if you look at the endocrine society um, guidelines, they need to look at several things. You need to look at hormonal levels and the biggest sign would be that testosterone would be high. So the majority of women that come to me who say, I've been told I've got PCOS, usually when you look at their blood, you're like, you definitely have not got PCOS because that's the biggest sign is that testosterone would be high. Um, and in, in most of the cases that we see, well, in all the cases we see, testosterone is really low, estrogen is really low, luteinizing hormones really low, follicle stimulating hormones really low. So actually that's hypothalamic amenorrhea, not PCOS. The other symptoms that you may notice are um, that some people get really bad acne um, and, and potentially extra hair around their, you know, sort of on, this, on their face, like facial hair and stuff. Um, and then also if they do the ultrasound, sometimes they'll look at the, the, the lining of the uterus and that will also give them an indicator. So you cannot make a diagnosis just from they don't have periods and they've got multiple follicles because that is not PCOS. So just I want women out there who've been told they've got PCOS to really question that so that they're aware um, and actually ask the person who's told them, have you done this via the endocrine society guidelines? Because you know, I want to know what my blood tests are, for example. Now, don't just accept it, I think, is what I'd say. Yeah. Well, I think that's so good that you, you know, I wasn't lucky enough to know you back then. And so I didn't know to ask all these questions. So Chris and I really were doing it blind. And we just were doing our own research. Um, you know, it, it wasn't, I, I don't want to give, you know, the professionals I saw a bad name but I just think they just weren't looking at all the pieces of the puzzle and maybe they don't maybe they've got to know so much that they can't know things in detail um no and I think that's a really yeah I think that's a really important point to make like I don't know everything about every aspect of nutrition so I wouldn't be able to give advice on it and like, if people ask me I say sorry that's not my area of expertise and I don't choose it to be um but I do think this whole area of amenorrhea is not widely understood um, and how to treat it and, and what you should be looking for. And I don't think always the valid questions are asked because at any point, Polly, did anybody ask you about your training load in through any of this? No, I mean, I think it always came up that I was training, but it was never a, they never delved into it. So they never, and they never asked how many hours, what intensity, um, you know. And even though I wasn't training professionally anymore, it was, I was still doing a lot, you yeah. know. And, and probably restricting more by that time. 
And I guess that's it. Like, you know, for me, these are the key questions that people should be asking. Um, and, and just so that you guys are aware, I think we, we've discussed this before, but the high cholesterol is very, very common again in women with amenorrhea because usually estrogen protects us from a high cholesterol. So basically estrogen protects women um, in producing intrinsic cholesterol. So as soon as you don't have enough estrogen, cholesterol in numbers do go up which is one of the reasons we don't test cholesterol in amenorrheic women, because just like you, they'll go, oh my goodness, I must be doing something wrong. I'll cut back even further. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I wrote about this in orthorexia because I had a case study, a young woman who um, exactly that, she came to me saying, well, I had a, an MOT at work and they did my cholesterol and it's really high. And this girl was not really eating anything other than fruits and vegetables. So there was no reason why her cholesterol would be high apart from the fact that she'd been amenorrheic for five years yeah which nobody had bothered to question her on so so there is a reason why people's cholesterol tends to go up if you are amenorrheic yeah. um okay so we uh, you, you know so you were on clomid to stimulate ovulation that didn't really do very much yeah i, I mean i think it i did have a period but i don't obviously it was it was kind of a forced one by via yeah. that so um but to be honest, um, whether I did or not, I still hadn't addressed the, the problem. You know, I was kind of scraping over the surface thinking, oh, yeah, I'll do, I'll do this. I'll go and see this specialist, go and see this person. But really, I wasn't getting deep enough into what I actually needed to do. So. So when did the penny drop for you? Like, when did you suddenly go, do you know what? I think I. It was 2007. So we came back to the UK the end of um, 2017. Um, I think I had just read a article by Tina Muir. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's how you say her name. That yeah, I think that's how I say it. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think she, so. She's a she was a very very she was a British runner, wasn't she? Marathon runner um, who had been through um, similar. Um, and she, I actually met, I reached out to her and messaged her because it, it was the first thing that resonated with me. Um, and I said, you know, thank you for, sh for sharing your story. Um, you know, have you got any advice? And, um, she said, if you do anything, make sure you read, uh, Nicola Rinaldi's book, No Period Now What? Um, and I was like, oh, okay, thank you. You know, kind of forgot about it. And, you know, didn't actually get that book until another year later. Um, by which time we were, so we very quickly um, developed the gym over here. It was, we got back in December and we were open in at the beginning of January. Um, you know, it was kind of a sink or swim thing. We came back with the bags on our back, um, you know, and and kind of moved to Bath and, um yeah just jumped in with both feet um got the gym and I was I was feeling really good because I was for the first time feeling really fulfilled with work um and it kind of took my mind off things but I still I think coming to a new city um meeting new people it was still the identity thing I still wanted to you know, I was Chris's wife and I had to be seen to be fit and, you know, things, they probably didn't care, but, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I did. Um, so yeah, again, it kind of carried on. Um, and then 
but by that time I was I was pretty low about the whole thing um you know no one had given me an answer why I wasn't having a period and I think I'd actually had maybe two by that time but they were maybe six months apart so my body was trying um mm. and looking back it was I actually had those periods when I think one was straight after Christmas and I had you know we had just yeah. chilled out basically yeah. <laughs> eating well um chilled out um and yeah my body had kind of switched back on but they I still didn't it, the, the switch didn't completely flick for me there um and then I'd listened to a couple of podcasts so it's 2018 then that I got the book um so which was which is amazing I don't know if you've written it <laughs> um but it, it, it just... I know, yeah I know Nicola very well like so Nicola I know so Tina Nicola and I have spoken on on several occasions and Nicola and I have had a number of conversations and um so I know the book because obviously she actually asked me to read the revised copy to check that it was you know up to kind of scratch in terms of um some of the advice she was giving out and things like that so yeah it's it's one approach I would say it's it's quite extreme and I know that you you are you in the past have said not everyone needs to do that but for me what so basically it goes on the principles of you know stop training and eat more (laughs) um to keep it to be as simple as possible um and I you know what though I think that was the only way it was going to happen for me yeah because I had to for four two or three years then I had still been doing it my way and I'd been going okay maybe you know this is enough training or I am still eating enough that's fine you know but I, I, I needed to go all in on something yeah um and I really, I really did struggle and I, I, you know, I feel sorry for Chris, what he, you know, he, I I just used to cry, like, you know, because I I was such a goal, I've always been a goal-driven person, I think we, most of us probably are, who are listening to this, Um, and I could, I had this goal, and I was doing things, so once I'd started eating and completely stopped training, I, um, nothing was happening and I was like it's not fair like you know I'm I'm doing I'm I'm literally giving up everything who I am and it's still not working um but then you know it it was just a matter of time then so I, I, I just and I want you to maybe just talk a little bit about that time a bit more because I know a few people who'd be listening to this who who would say they're exactly where they're where yeah. you are on they are they are really struggling and I know because they reach out to me all the time and you know all I can all I always say is your numbers are going in the right direction because obviously we are checking bloods and, yeah. and everything and see from that but it's I have I have no magic wand to make it happen um, and I don't know what the magic number is for each person because it's slightly different for everybody. Um, so, totally. and that's, can I just say that there, that it is so different for everybody. Like, you know, we've had this conversation before and I was, I was comparing myself to people who were successfully conceiving and um, were still training a lot 
and still had and I don't know their I don't want to pick names because I don't know their underlying story and mm. they might have been had a really rough time as well um but I would compare myself to them and say well how come it works for them it's not you know that's not fair it you know I, I'm I'm doing exactly the same as them but you everybody is different yeah. And I think don't underestimate the stress the body goes under. You know, oh, like you put your body under so much pressure. For so long as well. Yeah, yeah, so many years. And then as you said, as you came out of that, there was an element of who am I? I don't know who I am anymore. And that almost almost caused things to go into even further of a deficit by Absolutely. more. I was and consciously, you know, that's when when you asked me earlier about when it was conscious and when it wasn't that was at the point where it went conscious because I was like, I've got to hold up. I've got to keep hold of something. Yeah. And, 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 and this is what we see. I mean, I see, you know, in clinic most weeks, right. Is exactly that is that kind of, it's an interesting, it's a conversation I had with Chris the other day. It's a really interesting place in that the number of women that contact me and also we work together and we've had really good success rate. Like, Really, like 70% of the women that we have worked with have got their periods back, right? So really, really good success rate. But some people, it takes a lot longer. And also some people are really impatient. I think the thing about this process is understand that, yeah, most of us are goal-oriented, but we're also very highly productive women. We're women that like stuff done quickly mm-hmm. on our time frame. Yeah. But you cannot rush your body. And so, you know, when people, (laughs) I've had some people go, I've been following your advice for two months and nothing's happened. I'm like, yeah, it's not going to happen in two months. You haven't had period for eight years. Two months, you're not going to do it. Like, I think you have to be realistic. But also, the time it will happen is when your body feels absolutely no threat anymore. Whether that's threat of starvation Mm-hmm. or the stress of training mm-hmm. but only at that point and for some women that may be an uncomfortable place to be in terms of physically where they are incredibly uncomfortable um i think the thing that i really want to say the thing that kind of got me through that time um is talking to people about it and letting people know where i'm at yeah you know don't be embarrassed about it like you know, I, I'd never spoken to, um, you know, my parents about, you know, my period before or things like that, but I, I had to let them know so that they, they understood and everyone was so supportive. Like, you know, you think, oh, everyone's going to judge you, but once, once they know, and the weight that is lifted when, when you feel like people understand what you're going through, they might not know, they might not fully understand it, but they, they know, you know, what you're trying to achieve kind of thing and it's just talk about it like it's don't be afraid to talk about it and I think what's really interesting for me with you is that obviously I didn't know you guys I mean I'd heard of you but I didn't know you guys and likewise you'd heard of me but didn't know me and um so I didn't know your story so when you sort of reached out and said can we have a coffee can we have a chat and I was like yeah I'd love to get to know you better I'm going to be working with you it's it's all good it's all good um I, I, when I first met you, I just thought, yeah, she looks fit. Like, because in my head, that's yeah. who you were. And yet it's interesting that one of the first things you said to me is I feel really uncomfortable in my body um, at the moment because I've been doing everything and, and I just, 
I'm still waiting and nothing's happening. And I know we had a conversation about should you be doing tennis or something, I think was yeah. discussed and, and how you should manage that and, and things like that. But it's again, what I'm trying to say to you is your perception of yourself is often what holds you back because, because I appreciate you have been a much, a very different body type previously. And so it must feel like, it's just like recovery from an eating disorder. It feels like you're just getting, you have no control over your body and it's doing what it wants to do. And what I always try and say to people is that your body knows exactly where it wants to be to be fertile. Yeah. And so it will have to get to that point. And that is really individual and it's based on genetics and it's based on, you know, um, the length of time you've, you've had problems and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I think like, again, it's your perception of you. That's the issue. I mean, we had an exchange of photos earlier this week of, um, like I think I sent you my photo, photo, which was exactly ten years ago. This weekend, actually, and um, I look like I'm about twelve. You do, you do. I remember standing, having that photo taken, feeling really uncomfortable in my body, like looking at all the other people around me who looked really, really like fit, and I didn't feel because you look, you look in the photo like you're kind of, you look uncomfortable. You know, like you look like you're kind of come on take the photo hurry up <laughs> yeah well I hate how my photo taken as we know anyway but yeah it was really it's interesting looking back on that thinking I saw myself as so different and yet I was I mean I've all and that's the you know it's the thing I've always been a small build it's just how you perceive yourself and then that's how you experience yourself right so in my eyes, when I first met you, I was really confused. I was like, what was she talking about? She looks great. And, and yet I know, I understand why you were feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. And then you had, we got good news. Yeah. So, um, I think it was, so I went all in as in, I stopped pretty much everything bar walking. Um, and when I was walking, I wasn't, I was just literally walking. I wasn't going for a three hour walk mm-hmm. um just ate normal <laughs> um and so that was in probably may april time mm-hmm. um i'd also started having i went for a, quite a few sessions of acupuncture and acupuncture actually uh, i going back very briefly i um had a knee injury um many many years ago and no one could solve it so and did you know had an mri everything no one could pinpoint what it was, went for acupuncture and ping, you know, was running two weeks later kind of thing. And so I've always been open to acupuncture. I went to acupuncture with a local lady and I don't know whether that helped as in it was a direct um, kind of cause and effect, but it let me lie on a couch for 30 minutes a week and just think about my body and what I was doing to it, you know, and she, she wasn't, she didn't, she obviously knew what I told her. Um, but it, it was really, it's, you know, when you, you speak to someone and you can hear yourself talking and you're like, Oh my God, this sounds, I'm answering my own questions. Um, that's what it allowed me to do. Um, so if you can, you know, if you can kind of have that time, that quiet time where you just kind of think, about yourself then yeah that's that was amazing so yeah I started having that maybe 
yeah, April, May, and then August, I had my first period. So in the grand scheme of things, it actually wasn't that long. You know, it'd been a long time since 2015, but as we know, I hadn't completely committed. So from the time when I said, right, I'm going to do this, set, you know, I'm not going to waver. It was only a few months. Um, and then, yeah, so had a period and then had, what, six or seven, um, ranging from four weeks to six weeks apart. And then, um, yeah, found out we were pregnant the next year. Yeah. And, and now we've got George. <laughs> and he's lovely. Is it five months? Yeah. He's uh, almost five months. Yeah. 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 So, um, so, you know, obviously for you, that's, that's a big journey. And like I said, I know you said right at the beginning, you've only really put the pieces together in recent yeah. um, recent months. Probably, you know, obviously the stuff that you learned previously, but maybe also, you know, you've been on a lot of our conversations when Chris and I are talking and, and you know, how we've developed our practice and, and everything else. So um, I suppose that it does help, doesn't it? When someone says something, you go, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, like yeah. it makes sense. So I guess I mean, one question I have got, to ask you is out of everything you went through and I think I know the answer but out of everything you went through what do you think the best advice you were given during that time was and who was that from um I think for me reading that book was a game changer um but I know it's not the route that everyone has to go down um I don't necessarily know whether it was what what people what one specific person told me mm. and I always I always say this that yes it took a long time but I actually am pleased that I've been through this journey you yeah. know I one it wouldn't have been right to have to fall pregnant you know as in it, it wouldn't have been the right time you know I, I I'm I really am a believer in everything happens for a reason it happens at the right time you know if we got back from Australia we just started a business just moved into a flat it was you know if I got pregnant there the business wouldn't be where it's at now because I wouldn't have you know been able to be involved so much um so I, I really have I have no regrets about or I don't I don't wish that it had gone any quicker mm. um because I do, I don't think this is answering your question. Sorry, I'm waffling. But um, I, I do think that um, having to go through this journey and work it out ourselves has possibly meant that maybe I won't be tempted to go back to where I was in the future. So that was my next kind of question is obviously, you know, I know that Chris, you and I have discussed like a return to play type yeah. <laughs> program and obviously we we've kind of we've got a bit more time to play with at the moment because of lockdown and, and everything else but um but obviously you do go back to sort of structured training I um which I completely understand um how do you feel about that like are you feeling confident about managing that or do you feel quite nervous about managing that I, I'm almost um I think would say I'm being overcautious. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm so like, I do not want to be there. Um, 
again and it's hard at the moment because um i'm exclusively breastfeeding so you know I, I probably won't have a period until i i wean george um so that marker of my health now is a bit probably a bit harder to find um yeah i so this covid thing's really kind of sh- you know shaken things for everybody but i was i was due to have a kind of um pelvic health physio appointment before this all locked down um that was obviously cancelled so i'm waiting for that just to make sure that i'm properly healed because you know we had it was an interesting birth didn't george didn't really want to come out so (laughs) so physically i want to make sure that i'm all healed um i'm mentally i'm really excited about getting back to something because I got to the point before him that I was completely over everything I, I, I wasn't actually enjoying running for the first time in my life and now I'm kind of itching to run which is which is a good sign I guess um and you say that structured training but to be honest I'm not in any hurry to be in any structured training I want to do what I feel what makes me feel good like at the moment I'm doing 30 minutes of strength training um you know a variety of strength training um during every week and that's one because it's mentally my time if george will let me sometimes i have to use him as a weight um but also it just i just feel good with it and i feel strong and i'm you know i've got to support another human now so i'm nutrition i just eat you know whatever kind of thing yeah i think i think it's and you said it a couple of times, like you said it when, you know, when you, you had a different focus, like the business came focus and now you're a, you're a mother, which is another focus. And, and I can definitely, I mean, I'm not saying that everybody should go away and have babies and that's no. change, but I can definitely relate to that in the, I mean, I fell pregnant very, very quickly. Um, and probably younger than I anticipated um and but that's I mean that's not to say that I didn't want them I just I just hadn't really two wonderful girls there they are great and and I would never have my life any other way but I I was much younger than I'd ever thought I would be before kids to a certain reasons in terms of eating disorders and periods and, and everything else but you do you do you do gain a different perspective on life. You know, like for me, when the girls came along, I was very career orientated, very, very career orientated. I mean, nothing's really changed there as we know, but I was very career oriented in my mid twenties. And um, that was my focus. And then I fell pregnant and I had Maya who, who, I mean, I loved my, like I loved when she was like, you know, baby, I just, I loved it. I loved becoming a mum. to be fair. I, I took to it fairly naturally, even though it was hard and like you have no idea what you're doing, but I took to it fairly naturally. And I think because I've never been someone who, when it comes to kids, I've never needed a guidebook. I've never needed to get it right. I've just kind of gone with it. I've been quite fluid with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, then, and then Ella came along and it was like, right, okay, I can't really do this, this work thing. <laughs> I can't really stretch myself between small children and my career and and although I carried on working it was more from like my sanity point of view than it was anything else and then again like with the running came when Ella was like you I exclusively breastfed both my girls so I breastfed Maya and actually (laughs) 
pretty much as soon as I stopped breastfeeding, my eye fell pregnant with Ella. So I didn't really get into any sort of training um, until Ella was about 11 months. And I, she was starting to drink a lot less. And that's when I got my period. And I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to just try running at that point. So I suppose like you, it was one of those things that I hadn't really, I hadn't really consciously thought about doing, but I knew I'd got to a point where I, was like, I actually want to do something for me now. I want to move my body yeah. Feel stronger. I want to yeah. feel more, more capable of running around after a two-year-old at that point as well. So you know, so so yeah. I think like it's good. Priorities change completely. hundred percent. And and it's something. What I would say is, which is really great, and you've you've said this already, is some people, and I would say some people like if you have a very fixed mindset, you may not always learn from your experiences. I would say you and I both have a very growth mindset. So we use our previous experiences to continue to become aware. So you know that you will never go down that road again, because as soon as you notice that the balance is a bit off, you will, you'll pull back or you'll, you know, you'll change it up. And I guess I've always been the same. I've always been like that. I've been, you know, and, and, and since I've had the girls, I've had a regular period every single month. And, you know, my training goes up and down and, you know, at the moment I'm, I'm, you know, doing fairly decent amount of training, but um, don't really know why because I've got nothing to train for. But you know, regulation. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, it's it's more that we're just maintaining. We're just ticking over, and I was at a good place before the lockdown because I was going to go to Nepal. Yeah. So I didn't want to lose all that because I built that up, and so we're just ticking over. So I've kind of I've had some down weeks to to adapt, and then I've we've built up again, and then this week for me is is an ad- adaptation week again, and and then we'll we'll build up again, and it's just how I tend to my body functions. But you know, my period is still very regular, and I think that's the thing I want people to know. I think people have this really skewed mindset that you can't have a strong physical body mm. and and train hard and have a period and yet you can because there's lots of us that are doing that and it's completely possible Um, and so for you Polly I know that you will also get what you want you know and but I think it's really sensible to make sure that you are physically ready yeah well I I think I'm uh, you know I'm I don't want to jump in too soon that I do more damage that I really can't get back from you know that um so i'm yeah no and george is keeping me more than busy yes exactly (laughs) how how much (laughs) a four month old in you know can consume your time it's it's a completely completely different thing (laughs) and that's it like that it never it it never stops being challenging it just changes oh totally yeah um Okay, well, like my last, last question for you then is if you could give one piece of advice to anybody who's listening, who has, who is going through what you have been through, what would be your piece of advice for them? Talk to people. Yeah. Let them know how you, let them know what you're doing. Let them know what you want to do. Just, it's such a, as I said, it's such a weight that was lifted, you know, when I could talk to friends about it, um, you know, they, they just... I don't want, you know, you don't want loads of pity or sympathy or, you know, and, and not everybody on listening to this will want to get pregnant, you know, they'll just, but just let them know what your goal is so that they can support you to it. Um, and, you know, some people, um, not meaning to might 
might be um, almost preventing you from getting there from do you know comments they make or you know things that they topics of conversation um, you know and if they know okay let's just steer away from that for a bit then um, yeah yeah just it's it's such a lonely feeling otherwise like um, I know that the times that I um, were at my lowest was when I wasn't talking to anyone about it and poor Chris didn't know what to do <laughs> you know he was there and he, he he was helpless he couldn't he you know he wanted it you know George as much as I did um he's probably broody for a lot lot longer than I was but um you know it was out of his hands and he felt so I think talking to him but then talking to other people and sharing the load is um is so important so um yeah that's pretty much it I think and it will happen <laughs> just have confidence and you know I said I think I was speaking to somebody the other day and said just change. We're all very goal driven, like no doubt about it. Whoever's listening to this is probably, you know, you want, you, you've got your sights set on a goal and you want to achieve it. Um, and just change that goal. Like my goal was then, you know, a couple of years ago, it was okay. My only goal was getting my period back. Then my only goal is knowing I'm ovulating. Then my only goal is having a baby, you know, like, and obviously, you know, you need to have a balance. It's not healthy to completely focus on it, but just change your, change your mindset, you know, as easy as that sounds. It's not, I know. <laughs> but I think it's really good advice there. So, um, yeah, I mean, Polly, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. And um, we've loved having you. Um, it's uh it's it's quite weird doing this solo but um you miss chris already <laughs> how weird is well, that we haven't been interrupted so um hopefully they're okay yeah, he, sure he likes his walks with george so <laughs> but thank you so much and, and we're gonna have you back on i think the whole idea is that we'll get you back on intermittently so that yeah, absolutely you know how you're getting on and how you'll return to sport. yeah and if anyone's got any questions like you know maybe we could do a discussion one i'm i'm you know, Absolutely. I think maybe in a couple of weeks time, we'll probably do another live. And if we can get you in on the live as well. And I know there are lots of people who'd be desperate to ask you questions. So, um, sure. so yeah, that'd be really great. Um, so that's it for this week, guys. Um, if you have any feedback or any questions, please let us know. Please continue to review us as well, because um, it's always nice to hear what you guys think. And we will be back next week with another episode. Thanks, Rini.